Christ is risen. Amen. Well, welcome to uh, Redeemer's service as we celebrate this high holy day. And if you've been with us this week, uh, it has been a week that's gone up and down and sideways and left. As uh, we, we started with uh, a beautiful Palm Sunday service, and last week we had palm fronds and people are waving. And we were saying, ain't no rock going to cry in my place and uh, celebrating the triumphal entry of our Savior into Jerusalem. But <laughs> we also did it with, the, with, the, uh, with Thursday on the Mind, when we would come together and we would celebrate a meal together, remembering the last uh, supper with Jesus' disciples. And as he sat with them, he, he gave them this great command. The word monday means, mon, uh, means command. And Jesus gives this last great command to them. He says that they are to love each other as he has loved, he has loved them. As Jesus bent down and washed their feet, humbled himself before them, and he showed this immense love to his people, knowing that very night Judas would betray him. But not just Judas, all of his disciples would betray him. But with that in mind, we went to Friday and Jesus went to the cross And he suffered in anguish, but he didn't let the cup pass from him, the cup of judgment, but he drank from that cup so that you and I would not have to drink from that cup. And so then, a sobering Saturday until we get to Resurrection Day, our high holy day. We started out with the sunrise service and I got my hair, I was getting my son's hair cut yesterday, and the barber said, why do you have a service that early in the morning? I said, brother, it's a new day. It's a new day. We want to see the sunrise. And with that in mind, we come to our text today in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 36. And Jesus is going to come to his people, and there is, well, a lot of uncertainty. There have been those who were at the cross, who, who had then also come to the tomb, and they found at the tomb that it was empty. And all that was there were angels. And they were saying, who are you looking for? He is risen from the dead. And so these ladies went back and began to spread word to the disciples that Jesus was resurrected. He was no longer in the grave. And they're sitting around, and they're eating, and they're, they're, they're trying to understand, what does this all mean? There's got to be a ton of questions. Are these ladies all right? You know what I mean? Can you believe their story? Or if that's true, what are we going to do about that? Is this a time to hide? Is this time to run? I'm sure they were unsure of what was really going on. Unsure what all this might really mean. Uncertain of who Jesus is if that is the case. Or what Jesus is if that's not the case. Uncertain of who they would be. So at this time in the scriptures, we have one who is resurrected. But we don't have a resurrected people. We don't have a resurrection people. And as they were talking about these things, wondering, 
Jesus himself stood among them. That would be a little scary, wasn't it? And he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they disbelieved for joy, they disbelieved for joy. And were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the Psalms, in the law of Moses, and the prophets in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So whom do you look to to find certainty? What do you look towards? Whom do you look to to remove all doubt? I know there was a time, right? And with all of us at least. We might look to a, a philosopher or a scientist or a poet or a rapper or a politician or a religious figure. But I'm afraid we've placed our sights too low. Maybe we should look, a, maybe even further, we, we'd look with someone like our, our mother or our father, or a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a husband, a wife, or a BFF to tell us, what's life all about? Give me certainty. Remove doubt. But you may ask, what have they done for me? Why would they care? How, how do they know? Are they enough? Of course not. The answer is of course not. So if those around you can't remove uncertainty, we must look to ourselves. And if we rely on ourselves, we rely on me, I become the master of my own destiny, I have the power of positive thinking to overcome the world and all of its troubles, I have the knowledge and understanding to understand the deeper things in this life. Or, or you become... You, you, uh, you become a moralist. You say, I'm just going to do better than everyone else, and then I'll be all right. And for those who've been here, we found that to be short, right? right. We've set our sights too low. But how do you prove then what is true? How do you prove that there is a God? How do you prove that someone knows the truth, and removes all uncertainty. Well, how do you prove divinity, though? If Jesus says he is the Son of God, he has the answers, how do you prove divinity? 
Today we're going to look at the resurrection and the implications of the resurrection. You know, uh, at the uh, turn of the century, there became discussion about how to get information from one place to the next. And, and uh, Nikolaus Tesla even had an idea of this massive outflow and inflow of information, didn't know how to accomplish it, but dreamed of something like this. And then in the 1960s, there was a guy at MIT named J.C.R. Licklerd. He popularized this idea of an intergalactic network. Are y'all starting to get where we're? We're not talking about Star Wars, by the way, yet. <laughs> an intergalactic network of computers that could talk to each other, and they could, they could move what they called packets of information, the switching packets of information uh, through transmitting electronic data. And, and in the 60s, there was that creation of something called the uh, ARPANET, the Advanced Research Pro Projects Agency Network. It's originally funded by the U.S. De uh, Department of Defense, and it was moving big information back and forth. And as, a, as I know some of, you geeky, some of you geek people are like, this is the most awesome sermon <laughs> in the world. But there, there came two interfaces, one at the University of UCLA and one at Stanford, and they, they had computers as big as a house inside, and they were going to transfer a message from one place to the next, and the message was login. <laughs> yeah. And so the, 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 uh, the computer at UCLA transmitted this word over to, to land over there at Stanford, and it spelled L-O, and then the computers crashed. <laughs> but as you know, this is where we get the Internet from. And can we imagine life without it now? I mean, how, had it, how it has changed, how we pass information, how we socialize, how we get stuff, Right? You know, when I was growing up, I thought the Amazon was a big river. But it, apparently it's something bigger than that. The implications of the building of the Internet are wide and vast. And as the disciples and those around were meeting with Jesus there, the implications of a resurrected Savior are vast and wild and, and, and touched the imagination and has transformed the world. The implications of the resurrection is first, as Jesus is standing before them, they are uncertain of their future, they're uncertain of their present, and the resurrection erases our doubts. What, what would have been done that was so significant? What could be done that was so significant that it could erase all doubt? If Jesus has such bold words that he is the Son of God and he can forgive sins, how do you substantiate that? The answer is you die and are resurrected by the power of God. Jesus said, why are you troubled? Why are you troubled? Why the doubts? He says, see my hands and my feet. Touch me and see. Jesus had a physical body. He, he wasn't uh, just a spirit roaming around. 
They understood spirits. But Jesus was not coming back just as a phantom. He was coming back as the resurrected Son of God. He said, touch me. And he begins to eat because, you know, you never see Casper eating, right? He eats so they know that he is of material. He is of substance. Jesus distinguishes himself from all the other prophets, all the other religious leaders, all the teachers, all the TikTok influencers. He is greater than those things. Amen. None claim that they are resurrected, that they are the Son of God who's come back, who has beaten death. So Jesus says, see, touch, feel. It's the beginning of the scientific method, right? I know you have a hard time believing this. So come and see and experience that I have come back from the dead. I am resurrected. This is the implication that our, our doubts can be, arrest, uh, can be erased. I know for me, as a 21-year-old college student, as I was thinking about, am I going to give my life to Jesus? Am I going to, you know, I have so many questions. Many of you, if not all of you, have those same questions. Is there a God? If I've been born in India, would I worship this God? Uh, is Jesus for real? Is he really the son of God? Can you trust the Bible? I have all these questions, right? So do you. And as I went through those questions, I, I kind of, my, my heart would get flustered and, and I would try to think back to my life of, uh, of faith and life in the church. And I'd have a few more questions and God would answer some and more questions. And I kept going back and forth trying to understand what it meant, what it meant to be a follower after Jesus or if God even existed. But what I came down to, if the resurrection is real, it's all real. And so I looked at those disciples, Charles Coulson, uh, who wrote Born Again, uh, uh, one, of the key, uh, one of the ringleaders in the Watergate scandal, who later became a Christian. He said, if you look, you know, within a couple of weeks, all of those folks who were involved with Watergate were, were singing, Right? He said, but you look at these 12 disciples of Jesus. Well, 11 disciples of Jesus. And they saw the resurrected Jesus, and they were willing to give their lives. They were willing to endure pain, and they were willing to endure being imprisoned. They were willing to endure people coming after them to lose their homes. They were willing to even give up their lives because of what they've seen, a resurrected Savior. And if Jesus is resurrected, then it's for real. And you can trust, you can believe. No one else can make these kinds of claims. He erases all doubts. And so in the physical, we can begin to, to reason, even through this scientific method of like, okay, that makes sense. But then Jesus does something greater. He opens their minds. Listen, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. You see, Jesus is talking about the Old Testament and the promises that were made that the Messiah was coming. And as you look at all those promises and you try and put them together, 
they had a hard time making any kind of sense of what it would look like to have Messiah come. They mainly got the idea they were going to have a new king, and that sounded really good to them. That they have a new homeland, that sounded good to them. But there's something greater that was happening throughout the law of Moses, the, through the prophets and through Psalms. As they spoke these words, you, as you look at Jesus, you go, ah, that's it. And so what Jesus does is he opens their minds. He opens their minds for understanding, and he opens their hearts so they might believe. This is the power of God. Hallelujah. I don't know about you. As I've talked with people before, and I've reasoned with them, and they just look with me like, like I am a man on the moon. Have you had that before? They're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, I have, you have people oftentimes who come and visit the church, and we talk with them after the words, and they say, I have no idea what in the world was going on there. <laughs> right? My brothers and sisters, for those who believe, it is a great grace. For he has opened your mind. He has opened your mind. Not because you're very clever or I'm very clever. But he has opened our minds so we might understand and believe and we might know. As we look deep into his word, we go, oh, 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 I see. I see he is that, that bent reed talked about in Isaiah. I, I hear his voice in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? And I see how he raises him from the cross. I, I see that, that serpent in, in, in Genesis where he is, he is cursed to, to, slither on his stomach, and that God would put in between, between the man and that serpent, and that child, the offspring of that woman would come and crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent would bruise his heel. Jesus' heel was only bruised. He came back and was resurrected. And you start looking at those things, you go, oh, oh, I'm getting it, I'm getting it, because our minds have been opened to a greater truth by the power of God. This is resurrection people. We now begin to understand spiritual realities. The Word of God begins to make sense to us. It gives credence to His Word and what has happened and what is going to happen. It gives surety in His commands and certainty in His promises. It helps us to believe the things that are unseen, the spiritual things. Do you remember when Jesus was healing the man who was lame and he was doing it on the Sabbath and he told the man before he healed him that his sins were forgiven and everyone was upset for two reasons. One, he was working on the Sabbath with the Pharisees did not like and secondly, he was saying that he could forgive sins. And so Jesus, knowing that they were murmuring, he said to them, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or stand up and, and walk. To which they said, And so what does Jesus say? Take up your mat and walk. And the man walks. That spirituality manifested in the spiritual. It, that spiritual reality manifests in the physical. This is the same thing with the resurrection. We see Jesus physically resurrected, and the implication of that is that he is the Son of God, and he has the, the power over death and life, that he has a power over sin, that he has crushed the serpent's head. And he is victorious. Hallelujah. 
He has fulfilled the understanding of the law and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he says that he is salvation to you and me. Another implication of the resurrection is, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. We can't see the forgiveness of sins, but we see Jesus on the cross, and we see his resurrection, and we know he offers it to you and me. His words are true. He finishes, and I'll finish today, by telling his disciples, as a resurrection people, not only are you now saved, but now you've been given my command to go out to love your brothers as I have loved you and to go to the nations, beginning in Jerusalem, and share this resurrection story with the world to bring salvation to the nations. This must have sounded so strange to them. The thing now, this is not a Jerusalem thing. In fact, we, this is the thing we thought was dead yesterday. But now we're supposed to take it to all of the world. Salvation to the nations. And, and in this moment, in this resurrection moment, as he's with his disciples, there's a spark that saw the flames of the Holy Spirit cross fields and borders, on horses and on carts. It is a fire that is burned to purify the hearts of men and women, to lead them to repentance and salvation, to bring life to the marriage covenant and peace to those who were at war, food to those who were hungry and freedom to those in captivity. It is a flame that now burns in churches across the globe from every corner of the four corners of the world. It sizzles and sears in men's hearts. It is the good news. It is heard from pulpits and parks. It's shared over meals and in bars, in stadiums, and by the bedside. It travels through the airwaves. It's seen on big screens and little screens, zoomed, tweeted, DM'd, and YouTubed. It is the message that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He is a substitute for lost sinners that brings them forgiveness and peace with God. He is the risen Savior, resurrected with a new body, a glorified body. It is proof that he is able and willing that his words are true. His promise is fulfilled. He has come and will come again. And when he does, you and I will receive the same kind of body with bones that don't creak. Amen. With eyes that don't wander. Amen. The only things that you and I will be missing is hope. For there is no hope in heaven. In the new heaven and new earth, hope will be completely realized. There is no hope. There is just home. But we will reside with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. This is the good news of the resurrected one to the resurrection people. Share this where you go, for it is good news that saves the world. Amen.